Hello, and welcome to another moment with Eric Fleming. I am your host, Eric Fleming. <clears throat> Excuse me. So, this is a hot mic episode, and the topic is Tennessee. It would be remiss of me as someone who has had the privilege of serving in a legislative body as a representative not to express how I feel about the expulsion of Representative Justin Jones of Nashville, Representative Justin Pearson of Memphis, and the near expulsion of Representative Gloria Johnson of Knoxville. What I see, and and I'm gonna I'm gonna start it off a different way. What I see, and I'll get deeper into what I'm about to say throughout the podcast. But what I see is a desperate attempt of small-minded men to maintain power. Let me repeat that. What I see is a desperate attempt of small-minded men to retain power. So, let me start the podcast off with how Representative Pearson ended the seven-hour fiasco that led to his expulsion as well as his colleague, Justin Jones. Glory and honor to God who makes all things possible, who takes the son of teenage parents, Kimberly Owens Pearson and Jason C. Pearson and brings him to an institution built by enslaved people's hand. All glory and honor to God who brings those who've been marginalized and excluded into this place and tells them that you still have a voice that you still are somebody and that the movement for love and justice cannot be stopped because we've still got a heartbeat, because we've still got a movement for love that needs us. We've still got people who are calling on us to act and to do something to all you who still believe that the best days for democracy are ahead. For all of you who still believe that our better days in Tennessee are ahead, I want to tell you that I still believe with you. And how, how is it that even now with miss persecution on this holy week after my own brother, Justin Jones, Representative Jones, gets expelled from the House, is it that we still have hope and faith and belief in the democracy of Tennessee, faith and hope and the belief in the democracy of the United States of America? How is it that you still have hope, you descendant of enslaved people? How is it that you still have hope? Well, it's because even from the bottom of slave ships, my people didn't quit. Even in cotton fields and rice fields, my people didn't quit. Even when they were whipped and chained and told they had no name, my people didn't quit. Even when they incarcerated us, 
locked us up for a crack cocaine epidemic created by President Ronald Reagan to fund a war in South America. My people didn't quit even when they defunded our schools, separated us and called us colored and white, even when they put us on lynching trees in the state of Tennessee, specifically in Shelby County. My people didn't quit even now as our own brothers and sisters lay to rest because of the failure of people in positions of power to do something. Because people are refusing to pass just laws to end the epidemic of gun violence in the state of Tennessee. My people have yet to quit. And so even now, amidst this boat, amidst this persecution, I remember the good news. Hallelujah, Jesus. I remember that on Friday, the government decided that my Savior Jesus, a man that was innocent of all crimes except fighting for the poor, fighting for the marginalized, fighting for the LGBTQ community, fighting for those who are single mothers, fighting for those who are ostracized, fighting for those pushed to the periphery. My, my Savior, my black Jesus, he was lynched by the government on Friday. And they thought that all hope had been lost. All the, the, the outside, it rained and it thundered and, and everybody said everything was over. And it was some black women who stood at the cross. It was some black women who watched what the government did to that boy named Jesus. They were witnesses as you have been witnesses to what is happening in the anti-democratic state of Tennessee. They were witnesses. So what was going on? And I got to tell you, it got quiet on Saturday. Yes, I tell you, it was a sad day on Saturday. All hope seemed to be lost. Representatives were thrown out of the state house. Democracy seemed to be at its end. Seemed like the NRA and gun lobbyists might win. But oh, that was good news for us. I don't know how long this Saturday in the state of Tennessee might last. But oh, we have good news, folks. We've got good news that Sunday always comes. Resurrection is a promise, and it is a prophecy. It's a prophecy that came out of the cotton fields. It's a prophecy that came out of the lynching tree. It's a prophecy that still lives in each and every one of us in order to make the state of Tennessee the place that it ought to be. And so I've still got hope because I know we are still here and we will never quit. So that was... Representative Justin Pearson, who basically took the theme of the week, which was Holy Week, and placed it upon Cameron Sexton and his band of Republicans led by this guy named uh, Gino Bolzo, I think, and Andrew Farmer, uh, who not only sponsored the resolutions to ex expel these brothers, but said some really derogatory things and spoke to these black men 
in a way that I, if I was in their position, would not have tolerated as eloquently as Brother Pearson or Brother Jones. I'm just being truthful. I don't think I could have stood there and listened to these little men, these small-minded men, talk down to me as the, they talk down to them. And I'll get into why Mississippi may be more nuanced than Tennessee in that regard. But I want to give some background. First of all, this is all resulting of the tragic shooting that I've documented on this podcast that happened on March 27th at the Covenant School where three adults, one was the headmaster, one was the custodian who was African-American, and one was a substitute teacher who was best friends with the First Lady of Tennessee and three nine-year-old children. So on March the 30th, thousands of people, anywhere from seven to 10,000 students from the public schools marched on the Capitol. And in the midst of that, some of them were able to get into the chamber and they were unfurling banners and chanting and singing. And the, 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 the vocal protests erupted because Representative Pearson and Representative Jones were trying to be recognized to welcome those those people who came in the gallery, those protesters. And if you are not familiar with legislative procedures, so at the beginning of a session day, usually members of the body, if they recognize somebody in the gallery that's either a friend or a constituent, uh, uh, especially one that has some notoriety or prominence, uh, a member will ask to be recognized to acknowledge and welcome those people to the gallery in the state capitol. And so Pearson and Jones were trying to be acknowledged to welcome them, and the speaker would not acknowledge them. At that point, Representative Jones and Representative Pearson went to the well of the house and don't know who had the bullhorn, who who acquired the bullhorn. It was a rumor that one of my favorite country singers, Margot Price, had given the representatives the bullhorn, but she said she didn't do that, although she supports their actions and, and was upset about the expulsion she didn't she didn't supply the bullhorn anyway uh they took to the well and so representative johnson 
joined them at the well once they started acknowledging the people and was basically leading a protest on the floor. And according to some accounts, it lasted about 45 minutes. After that, everything settled down and order was restored and the legislature went on about their day. However, the Speaker of the House, this guy named Cameron Sexton, who became the Speaker after the previous Speaker had to resign because of, I believe, bribery charges. Anyway, uh, he, he was upset. And some of his colleagues, especially Bolso and Farmer, and some other guy named David Hawk, uh, if you want to see what these little men said, all of it's documented on YouTube. So you can see for yourself how they talk to these grown black men. Um, so they decided that they were going to exercise a provision in the Tennessee Constitution. And uh, that provision was is found in Article 2, Section 12 of the Tennessee Constitution. Uh, and it reads, Each house may determine the rules of its proceedings, punish its members for disorderly behavior, and with the concurrence of two-thirds, expel a member, but not a second time for the same offense, and shall have all other powers necessary for a branch of the legislature of a free state. So some of y'all may say, well, Fleming, it's in there, right? It's, 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 it says that they can kick him out. The term the conjunctions in the English language mean something. Commas mean something, especially when it comes to laws. So, each house may determine its own rules. And that's interpreted in every state pretty much that has this provision that they can determine their membership. And we saw that transpire in Mississippi. Uh, we've, we've seen that transpire, you know, in other, other states uh, where the members can determine the, the body, the house can determine its membership. Right, who's seated, who's not seated. Um, and so from a state constitution standpoint, from as the state Supreme Court in Tennessee, we have to look at it. Um, there's really nothing you can do because it's the House, each House, the House of Representatives in the Senate can determine their members and they can determine their rules and their punishments, right? 
But the key is punishes members for disorderly behavior, comma, and comma, right? So it's not saying if it said punishes members for disorderly behavior by expulsion with the concurrence of two-thirds, then that would have been the only recourse for the House of Representatives to use when it came to disorderly conduct. But it reads, punishes members for disorderly behavior, comma, and with the concurrence of two-thirds, expel a member. So you can expel a member for more than just disorderly conduct. You can expel a member for being indicted, right? In 1866, when Tennessee first expelled members, they expelled six of them. And the reason why they did six was because in order to be reinstated into the union, each state had to ratify of the Confederate states. They had to ratify the 14th amendment. They had to agree to it. And the Tennessee house determined that they were six members that they needed to get rid of. So they would have enough votes to ratify the amendment. And that's why they did that. They could have expelled a lot more, but they only needed six. And so that's why they did that. And in between 1866 and April 6th of this year, only two other members had been expelled. One member who wasn't expelled was this guy named, I believe, Richard Byrd. Richard Byrd had been accused of sexually assaulting students. And a resolution was drafted, but it wasn't recognized because the Speaker of the House, who happened to be this guy named Cameron Sexton, said that the people's voices needed to be represented. That was his excuse for not expelling, expelling a guy who had sexually assaulted children. Right? Or had been accused of sexually assaulting children. Speaker Sexton at that time said, well, you know, the people elected this guy and they, they, they need to, their voices need to be heard. Yes, the same Cameron Sexton who basically said, that this guy's constituents, his 78,000 people needed to have a voice. But the 78,000 people in Nashville and the 78,000 people in Memphis and the 78,000 people in Knoxville didn't need to have their voice represented. Same guy, right? Oh, by the way, the person who introduced the resolution to expel the alleged sexual predator was Gloria Johnson, the white female from Knoxville that they wanted to expel on April 6th. 
See how this, see how this all ties in. See why I said that these people are little men, right? So that was the legal background why they wanted to expel these members. Here was the counter. In the same constitution, Article 2, Section 27, the members who were challenging the, ex the expulsion, the members who were targeted for expulsion, cited this. Any member of each house of the General Assembly shall have the liberty to dissent from and protest against any act or resolve which he may think injurious to the public or to any individual and to have the reasons for his dissent entered on the journals. So there's a process, um, legislative process. It's like each state, well, at least in Tennessee and, and I know in Mississippi, they have a journal of the actions, basically the minutes of, of the session for a particular day. Um, instead of calling it minutes, like most organizations or whatever, we call it a journal. And that journal is kept for all posterity. So you can go back for as long as that state's been in existence uh, and find journals. That's how historians figure out who voted for what, when, or uh, how particular things were debated or not debated even because they don't go into minutia detail as who spoke for or against all that. But there is a provision where if you want to enter something in the journal, say in a case you were upset that a particular bill passed uh, that you felt were, was detrimental to your constituents, in a hundred words or less in Mississippi, you could enter that protest in there. If even you were away from your desk and somebody voted you in favor of something and you weren't really in favor of it, but you weren't physically there, you can even document that, right? So that's when they talk about entered into the journal. That's what they mean. And so, uh, and yeah, I, I utilized that provision. I can't remember maybe a couple of times. Most of the time I did what I did on the floor, either spoke for or against the bill or asked certain questions. And, but in Tennessee, they could do that. And I'm not clear if, if Pearson or Jones or Johnson entered anything in the journal. I don't know if they were allowed to enter th anything in the journal based on what they felt was injurious. And in their case, it wasn't a bill that was passed. It was a bill that was not being considered and not recognizing, allowing them 
the privilege to acknowledge people that were in the gallery. Nonetheless, that was the argument. So section 12 was the justification, according to the speaker and the Republican members, why they should expel them. And section 27 was the argument against expulsion. Now, had they had a vigorous debate about it or say fair debate, we won't use vigorous, it's just fair. People were open-minded and not voting along party and racial lines. Then maybe, maybe the expulsions wouldn't have happened. Maybe. But since we are dealing with the reality of our time, right, then it was, as, as it was stated by one of the members, either Jones or, or Pearson, that the jury has already made up its mind. And it was very, using the allegory going with where Pearson was saying, it was very similar to folks shouting for Barabbas to be freed. And Jesus to be executed. Right? Far be it for me or any of us on this planet to equate ourselves to Jesus, but the allegory of somebody innocent being punished fits into that narrative, right? So, and there's some, there's some other background I want to get into with this too, right? So in Tennessee, the House of Representatives and the Senate are divided not by party, or at least it didn't used to be. It's divided by regions. If you notice on the state of Tennessee flag, there's three stars. Each one of those stars, and I, and I found this out, by the way, by actually visiting the capital of Nashville. When I went up there, uh, they were out of session, and being a state legislator, of course, you know, I was always curious about what other people did. So a nice state trooper, you know, took me into the chamber and gave me history as much as he could about the Capitol. And he was the one who pointed out that the seats are divided by regions. The three stars on the Tennessee state flag represent East Tennessee, West Tennessee, and Middle Tennessee, right? So, if you're from the East side, you sat to the left, if you've from I know if you're on the west side you sit to the left if you're from the east side you sit to the right and then the middle folks in the middle 
So if you look at the geography of the Tennessee Three as they're being referred, Representative Pearson comes from the West. He represents Memphis. Representative Jones comes from the middle. He represents Nashville. Representative Johnson comes from Knoxville. Therefore, she represents, she's from the East. So they literally symbolically tried to remove one person from each section of the state. It was not planned that way for Johnson, Jones, and Pearson to make that symbolic gesture. It just happened that those three people were there. But once you made the decision to expel them, then the symbolism kicked in. You literally were taking away a representative from each star. That was the attempt. And so, as we know, Representative Johnson did not get expelled. And when they asked her, why did you think that you were not expelled? She basically said, because I'm a white woman. And her expulsion vote fell one vote short. The majority of the members voted to expel her, but since it was two thirds, she, they fell one vote short. All right. But the other two, the two black men were expelled. And actually I think there were more votes for Jones being the first one to be expelled than there were for Pearson. And so I wanted to give that historical background, that knowledge, that context. And then on the other side, I'll basically tell you how I feel about it. Catch you on the other side. All right, and we are back. So I gave you some background, but there are some other details that I need to make sure I reference. There was one Republican who voted against all three resolutions for expulsion. His name is Charlie Baum. Uh, Mr. Baum represents Murfreesboro. Primarily, he is a, when he's not in the legislature, he is a professor of economics at Middle Tennessee State University, which is in Murfreesboro. Um, and it's about 30 miles from Nashville. 
Mr. Baum said that he would have preferred to work with the three lawmakers to improve House deliberations and that he had heard from his constituents who who overwhelmingly opposed the expulsion of these members. He further went on to say during Holy Week, he added, was he was interested in showing some grace. Now, Mr. Baum is a Republican. So without getting the only major piece of legislation that I was able to find that he pushed was trying to change the grading system in the state of Tennessee so that uh, children would have more of a competitive chance to get scholarships and all that stuff, which being somebody in the education field, excuse me, sounds like something he would have an interest in, right? Uh, As well as being a forensic Economist, So he basically has written pieces about the cost of wrongful convictions, the cost of the state uh, for, for other things. That's what he's kind of known for. But now he will be forever linked as the only Republican to vote against all three expulsion resolutions. So, and, and he, he won his district unopposed last time. And when he first ran, he beat the Democrat. He got 59% of the vote. So it's a relatively safe Republican district, the way it's set up. Uh, But I would not be surprised if he's primaried based off of this vote. Because that's the mindset of these people. They value guns so much more than they value human life that they voted to expel members who protested against gun violence, right? And there was another representative that went on the national TV circuit uh, who had voted. Now he say he voted, he he says he voted against two of the expulsions. There's only, and he may have. He said he voted for, and he was really throwing some shade on Representative Jones. Because one, he said he voted for Representative Jones because Representative Jones asked him to, right? So let me tell you how that conversation really went because supposedly their offices are right next to each other. And so Richie probably approached Jones and said, hey, I think this is wrong. I'm not going to vote for it. And Jones was probably like, hey, man, you're a Republican. You just got here. 
it could be very, very, very bad for you, right? If you don't go along with the majority. You know, I'll be okay. And I'll explain why Representative Jones is going to be okay. But he said, I'll be okay. Just, you know, I appreciate you telling me that, but I don't want you to get in trouble with your own folks. Richie tried to play like, well, you know, I'm famous. He I'm gonna, he tried to play Jones. Well, I'm going to be famous and all that stuff. That's not what he told him. That's what Richie believes, right? What Jones told him, and I, and I haven't talked to Jones or Richie, but having been in the process, that's how that conversation went. Hey, man, cover your own butt. Don't fall on the sword for me. I'm not lobbying anybody. Do what you got to do to make sure that you can get reelected and get some stuff done for your folks. That's how that conversation went. And then Richie also wanted to point out the fact that Jones and Pearson voted against a bill that would have put more guns into the schools, saying that, well, we had a bill that was for gun safety and they voted against it. They voted against the bill that basically said we want more guns in the schools. We want teachers to be armed. We want more school resource officers, all that, armed guards. They voted against that. And, you know, but the spin that Richie was trying to put on it was, well, they they had a chance to vote for stuff and they could have introduced the bill and all that stuff. Yeah, and the shooter could have decided to kill those six people in January instead of in March, but things happen. So Richie was the the right Republican for the Tennessee Republicans to get out there and bet. But Charlie Baum was not the guy that they wanted to do it. The New York Times got a hold of him. None of the other major news outlets talked to Mr. Baum. Or he probably felt that was the only one he needed to talk to. Either way, Charlie Baum basically was the only real Republican that really was opposed to this concept of expelling members. No shade thrown. Now, Baum probably agrees with Richie on on these bills and on the Republican position that guns are more important to people, but you know, and then Richie was, he was trying to, either way, they were trying to put the spin on, but we care about these children. We were devastated by the shooting. I can't tell by the legislation because uh, the report I was watching, uh, I think it was the interview I saw Jake Tapper was interviewing this Richie guy. And he said, well, what about red flag laws? Will you support those? He said, no, he would not. And he was trying to point out in Tennessee that they have an extensive background check, but Tennessee is also a state now where everybody and their grandmama can get a gun. Right. Which is a trap for black folks, especially those black folks who have been incarcerated. You are not exempt to get a gun in any state that says everybody can get one because they'll turn around and say, 
oh no, but you got a felony conviction, so you can't have a gun, right? And then there's federal law that says if you have a felony conviction, you can't have a gun. So if black folks, if you if you know that you've had to do some time, do not get a gun. Because if you're caught with it, you're going back to jail. Those laws are not designed for us. Now, we can take advantage of it, those who have not been convicted of felonies, such as myself, and and have a gun. But should really aim for white people. Right? Because they're terrified of us. They're terrified of Latinos. They're terrified of Asians. They're terrified of everybody who ain't white. So we got to have a gun to protect ourselves. That's that mentality that's out there. And again, in order to maintain control, you have to be armed. And that's the last resort for these people who want to maintain white supremacy. It's, it's arming themselves. Right, Charleston Heston. Right, you're not going to take this gun from my. You have to pry this gun from my cold dead hand. Same Charleston Heston that was involved in financing Martin Luther King and civil rights movement. It's a crazy world we live in. Anyway, so We had that, and then the reason why Representative Jones and Representative Pearson are going to be okay is because in that same article, too, <laughs> of the Constitution, I think it's Section 15, it basically states that the counties can appoint somebody to sit in the seat where there's a vacancy until there is a special election. In Mississippi and in Georgia, they have to, the seat remains vacant until the special election. But in Tennessee, the county commissioners can say, hey, we need, especially if they're in session still, hey, we need somebody up there representing us. And so they can appoint people. Well, Representative Jones, who represents Davidson County, Nashville, they basically said, we've got the votes to put Jones back in there. They've made that clear. They've got 40 commissioners, 29 have already said they're voting for him. So that's a majority. Right? So he's coming back automatically. Representative Pearson, he got to the legislature because he was appointed by the Shelby County Commissioners to replace the sister who had died, Barbara Cooper. And so this commission picked him to serve until the special election and then he was elected, right? So now basically they're going to do it again. Now the chair, one of the commissioners, I don't think this person's the chair, but one of the commissioners said that if Pearson was reappointed that they were going to uh, face retaliation as far as like budget appropriations and all that. 
The spokesman from the speaker said that's not true. I think somebody said something, maybe not from the authority of the speaker, but somebody Republican suggested that to that commissioner and that commissioner was not happy and made that public. So I, I, those Shelby County folks are going to reappoint Pearson. And then the other thing that I pointed out is that they can't be expelled again for the same reason ever. So since you use that nuclear option on Jones and Pearson, when they come back and they get reelected, you can't touch them. Not unless they commit a crime, which I seriously doubt. So you can't expel them. So that's that. So here's, see, this is where I admire these people immensely. Because I'm, and people said when I was a member that I was affected because I knew the rules and I was able to articulate and communicate well, either writing or speaking or all that. And I appreciate that. But my emotions, my biggest weakness was my emotions. And I don't think I would have been as graceful as those gentlemen or Ms. Johnson in the midst of that. They were outspoken and they were all that. And by the way, speaking about outspoken, when you get a chance, and I posted it on my LinkedIn, I didn't post it on any other of my other social media sites, but I posted Vice President Harris's response she was speaking at Fisk. She was actually coming to Georgia for something and made a pit stop in Nashville when this was going down. And so she spoke at Fisk University, and uh, which is in Nashville. And for 20 minutes, pretty much made the case is why this is a threat to democracy, this action that was taken. So please listen to that, right? Uh, make Take some time to do that. Um, but getting back to my emotions. See, I'm, I'm, you can call it petty, you, whatever, whatever label you want to put on it, right? But Cameron Sexton, if I was the mayor of Memphis, would not be welcomed in my city. Now, Nashville being the capital, you have to accommodate Mr. Sexton because he is the Speaker of the House. But, you know, maybe there should be checkpoints set up at the Capitol. I actually, there actually was a mayor that did that. Set up checkpoints at the Capitol where they had to stop and show their license to the officers and all that stuff before they came in. 
Maybe that should happen. Just, to, you know, one day, just to send a message to the speaker is like, we don't appreciate that BS that you just did. We're not playing that. Just so you understand. In Memphis, I mean, I don't care if it's FedEx. I don't care if it's the Chamber of Commerce or whatever. If I was the mayor and I got word that Mr. Sexton was coming, I'd probably publicly say, yeah, I don't think he should come. If he's going to have a detail, it should be the Tennessee troopers, not Memphis police. We won't assign anybody to his appearance. We really don't want him to come. Right. And mayors can do that. Right. Because when Chick-fil-A did their thing and was, you know, going up against the LGBTQ community, speaking out against same sex marriages and all that, the mayor of Boston said, yeah, I know y'all were going to build a franchise here, but that's not happening. I'm not going to do it. And of course, that people lost their minds and everybody and their grandmama was going to Chick-fil-A that supported them, you know, and da, 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 da. Got a lot of white folks buying chicken that day, right? But they were showing their support. And and the mayor of Boston basically said his thing. And I think the mayor of Memphis should send that message to the speaker that you're not welcome here because you kicked out one of our members, right? And now they'll say, well, you know, and then they'll start a fight about budgets and all this stuff, and that's fine. I mean, I just think that messages should be sent since you sent a message saying that you don't want black folks uppity Negroes as one member actually said, right? You don't want these uppity Negroes, you know, telling us or disrupting our process and all that stuff. Then, you know, when uppity Negroes should basically tell them, well, we're run by uppity Negroes here in Memphis. So you probably wouldn't be comfortable coming here. For any reason, fundraiser, whatever, this probably is not a spot for you to come. Now, I know that's wrong. I know that's petty. But that's my mindset when it comes to these people because reason with them doesn't seem to work. Uh, and I got to find it. Uh, let's see. Mark Twain said something about that. Mark Twain said, the truth has no defense against a fool determined to believe a lie. That's what Mark Twain said. The truth has no defense against a fool determined to believe a lie. <sighs> so, you know, and then, and then here was the other thing that kind of Tick me off. This little short stubby dude uh, who was saying, well, they disrupted uh, 45 minutes of the people's business and, and these millions, these 6.8 million Tennesseans who didn't get stuff done for 40, 45 minutes? You shut down the House of Representatives for seven hours to kick three people out that had nothing to do beneficial nothing 
to do beneficial for the citizens of Tennessee. If anything, you were trying to extract a person from each section of the state. You were successful in expelling somebody from West Tennessee. You were successful in expelling somebody from Middle Tennessee. And you were just one vote shy of expelling somebody from East Tennessee. You were not trying to do the people's business. You were trying to take care of your business. You were trying to send a message that we are tired of you white women. We are tired of you black men standing up against us. And they even had this this brother, I guess he's, you know, Indian descent. And... uh he was he was trying to tell i think it was representative jones that they should have knew their place you should know their place and shouldn't be disruptive and representative jones basically said you are now the brown face of white supremacy <laughs> yes it was not a cordial exchange between these members and the accused. It was not. And it shouldn't have been. And I, I probably would have said some other things too. I, I, I just, I, I respect the restraint and I respect the grace that those three representatives had. Now, Representative Johnson had been there a little longer. She actually had served, was defeated, was out for a minute and came back. So she had built some alliances, of course. And so two former members who were attorneys basically showed up to say, hey, we're going to defend you on this expulsion. And they were allowed to speak from the floor because they were four members. So they had floor access anyway. But they were allowed to speak to the body representing her. And obviously they convinced just enough white men not to expel this white woman. And then in the grand scheme of things, right? You know, that was more Sexton than the rest of them. But, you know, since she had the audacity to go up there with those two black men, they had to send her a message, right? Which she did not receive well, by the way. (laughs) But she's been a hellraiser in her own right. And so that's one of the things with with some of the black people are like trying to dismiss her and they're saying the Tennessee two instead of the Tennessee three. No, all three of them face the same threat of expulsion. It was the three of them who went to the well. And just because the white folks showed favor to her because she was white doesn't mean that she's not an ally for us and we shouldn't dismiss her because she beat the expulsion by one vote. Because in the reality of the situation, if she was willing to stand with those two black men, she's going to be with us on the issues that matter. And any vote that helps black folks that comes from East Tennessee, we need. 
If you understand the dynamics of the state of Tennessee, East Tennessee is the stronghold for the Republicans, which may be another reason why they decided to give her a pass because if East Tennessee votes are mad because one of their folks got kicked out, that could have some impact statewide. Just a thought. So, you know, and this Sexton guy, this was the same guy who equated the removal of Nathan Bedford Forrest's bust from the Capitol to communism. His argument was that communism teaches that the present is more important than the past. That was his argument. And he said, so to remove these busts, and I think Farragut was another one and somebody else, they, they removed these busts from the Capitol because people were protesting. And of course, Nathan Bedford Forrest, for those of you who don't know, was the founder of the KKK, a Ku Klux Klan, right? Which started in Pulaski, Tennessee. Yeah, so needless to say, at some point in time, black folks were gonna say, we need to get his face out of the building. Now all those busts are now in the Tennessee State Museum and that's great, that's wonderful, all that stuff. So people wanna learn history, the State Museum, which is paid for by the taxpayers, exists. So if you just got to see Nathan's face, it's at the museum. It's not staring black members down when they show up to work at the state capitol. Right? I mean, Mississippi did that a long time ago. You know, Theodore Bilbo had a prominent place in the building and the black members said, no, that's that you got to go. So they stuck it in a committee room. Right, and it may not be in the community room anymore. It may be in the museum now, but it was not in a place of prominence anymore. And we did that long before, you know, twenty years before the summer of twenty twenty. Long before, I mean, we removed Bilbo statue before we changed the flag in Mississippi, right? That's how bad Bilbo was. And yes, we used his statue as a coat rack at a lot of Black Caucus meetings. But anyway, <laughs> nonetheless, um, Sexton is this dude. And so, you know, these people in Tennessee have set a precedent that everybody is watching these other Republican-controlled state legislatures to see if they're going to try the same exact thing. And the main one they're watching is Florida because Florida is, at this point now, the laboratory for crazy. And then these other states like Tennessee and others, Georgia will do some stuff. It's like, oh, but, okay. But it's spreading. It's like it used to be Kansas, and now it's Florida. Florida is... You know, and they are trying to appease their fascist in chief, Ron DeSantis, right? So they're going along with all this stuff. I mean, they're banning books. And and I think it's funny that Sexton uses the argument that communism teaches 
that the present is more powerful than the past because that's exactly what you're doing when you ban books. That's exactly what you're doing when you want to limit free speech. That's exactly what you're doing when you're trying to control the press or suppress the press, right? All these First Amendment violations, trying to say that we need to have one national religion and all this stuff. That's that's more communist than removing a bust from a building. Using your definition. Expelling members that dissent. That's 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 communism. That's fascism. That's authoritarianism. That's not what we are about. In the United States. At least in theory. That's not what we're about. And so for these Republicans to continue to wrap themselves around the American flag and continue to use terms like patriot and uh, you know, use all these terms that define what an American is, right? These are the least American people in the country. These people are not what America is supposed to be about. These people in these leadership positions are not expressing the ideals that Thomas Jefferson and James Madison and all these guys wrote about. Right? George Mason and George Washington did not. And then Sexton went on to say, well, he said that, you know, there's no only one perfect person walked the earth. And that's right. That's Jesus. And that's a Christian saying, right? Only one person, there's only one perfect person. Everybody else has been imperfect and everybody else is, you know, should be given some sort of grace. But you didn't want to give grace to these three members who challenged your authority for all of 45 minutes. If, if there is a word that defines the modern day Republican party, that defines the essence of white supremacy, it's hypocrisy. These people will tell a lie and then lie about telling the lie. That's how deceitful these folks are. And so it's no surprise that they have rallied around a person who embodies that deceit, who embodies that lack of character no more than Donald Trump. Because in a Machiavellian sense, the ends justify the means. It's like we will do anything to maintain white supremacy in America. Anything. We will lie. We will cheat. We will steal. We will kill. And in the Bible, they define 
the person who lies, cheats, kills, destroys, steals, as Satan. So for you evangelicals who keep lining up and praying for and laying hands on these demons, you are compromising the faith. Instead of praying for their well-being, you need to be praying for their redemption. You need to be praying that they all have a Damascus Road experience. And really, maybe you need to do that, too. Because Jesus talked about those folks that were out on the corners praising and shouting and, and all this stuff when you really need to be in your closet and having a real conversation with God. Because if a part of the church that proclaims Jesus Christ as Savior still embraces demons or people that ex who are acting as demons even, then we're going to have a problem. We're going to have a problem in this country. Never mind democracy and, and all that. We're just going to have a problem from a moralistic standpoint because we can't effectively have a democratic republic that is fair and just and equitable and equal to everybody if we continue to allow these satanic forces to exist. Now, I have been critical and I'm going over, but I've been critical about people calling the Democratic Party demonic because they support the rights of people who live, excuse me, alternate lifestyles than the majority of the country, right? And these folks are actively praying against Democrats. These folks are actively going around and saying that Democrats need to be destroyed. So maybe I'm changing my position about that. When I sit there and talk about these acts that these Republicans are doing, and that would be a fair argument to make to me, but here's here's my problem. And, and all I really did was make a comparison, right? Because the word says, defines who Satan is and defines his actions. And when I see individuals doing that in order to maintain power, then the question becomes, who really is the demon? Who really is demonic? Who really is anti-Christian? Let alone anti-democratic. Right? And so, before you call people, and, and there's just, you know, just street talk, right? You know, people say, well, you know, if one person is accusing somebody of cheating in a relationship, more than likely they're the ones cheating. 
So all the folks that are out there saying that the other, the Democrats are demons and all that, maybe they're the demons. You know, you point one finger and several, three fingers pointing back at you, right? So, so let me apologize for that. I just, I don't want to get into that. Let me apologize for that. I don't get into this demonic stuff, right? But I'm just making a point that if you claim to be who you profess to be, your actions are not showing it. And trying to kick these people out of the legislative process doesn't help your argument. The fact that the two black members were expelled and the white person was not doesn't help your argument. And, you know, I mean, I don't really like doing that, but if the shoe fits, wear it. I just, I just leave it at that. If the shoe fits, wear it. Because I'm, I'm tired of being called something when I'm doing the opposite. I'm tired of being deemed evil because my skin is darker than yours. I'm tired of being treated as a second-class citizen because I don't fit your narrative of Arianism. And, and the majority of black people feel the same way. And until you realize that, you are going to have resistance. And it's going to be longer than 45 minutes. Until next time.